Welcome to the next episode of the Barbell Nerds podcast. Um, Sean and I have an awesome guest that we are excited to have on today, Marshall Peterson of Advanced Chiropractic Center. Marshall, thanks for coming on. We're happy to have you. Um, real quickly, give us a little background on whatever you want to whatever you want to tell the listeners about yourself. Maybe some education, um, some sports you played, um, how you ended up getting into the chiropractic field, or whatever you feel is relevant for this discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so a little background on me. Um, I graduated from MSUM, uh, Minnesota State University, Moorhead. Uh, I got an exercise science degree there. And then I went on to be a, uh, uh, I went into the doctor of chiropractic. So I went to Northwestern Health Sciences University there. Um, I was a track athlete at Moorhead. So that's a little bit of my athletic background. Um, basically, I fell in love with the sports and athletic world. And once I kind of saw it starting to come to a close, I went a little bit more towards the rehab side of it. I know you guys are obviously in the full strength side and building and still staying a little bit, maybe more in depth into the athletic field than I am. But uh, yeah, I kind of just saw that I liked the healing rehab, uh, you know, keeping staying in play rather than uh, strengthening for better play aspect of the sports world. So that's what kind of brought me into chiropractic on top of that, you know, being an athlete myself, I was seeing a chiropractor pretty frequently and a little bit of an odd story, but my first ever chiropractic experience, I grew eight and a half inches in three months. So I basically was out of whack in every way of the words you could say, and uh, chiropractic really helped me. So that was a big driving factor towards going there. How was that motor control growing, <laughs> growing all that time? That's, that's a lot. Yeah. So uh, basically I grew one limb at a time. So at one point, one of my legs was drastically shorter than each other. And I was doing a lot of running. I did, you know, some cross country and obviously I did some track in high school. And so right over the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, it was a bit of a crippling kind of growth period there for me. So what kind of patients are you seeing on a day-to-day -day basis? Is it mostly athletes or some gen pop, um, high school, college, older clients? What, what do you see on a daily basis? So typically I see uh, kind of a wide range. You know, I see a lot of high schoolers. I pick up a few college athletes here. Um, but a lot of times I end up seeing gen pop, elderly, things like that. And that's kind of where I'll have a little bit of a uh, maybe not so standard take from your guys's other episodes here is, you know, I see a lot of elderly all the way to really fit, you know, 18 to 25 year old athletes that are kind of coming into their prime or in their prime. And I have to really be, I don't know, multifaceted to say, you know, Hey, Susie, who's 95 can only do squats, getting up and on up and down out of her bed. And that's the most activity she can handle versus me talking heavy bracing, heavy, you know, squat form biomechanics with, you know, an 18 year old star athlete that's coming out of there. So I see a big range and I kind of have to wear a lot of hats where I don't maybe a jack of all trades, master of none type of thing. What, um, so a year, two years ago, I got out of the full strength and conditioning side of it as well. When I left UND, um, and I moved back to the Philly area and now I'm in the private sector. So I'm also working with 
uh, everyone from, I have a 12 year old squash player who's ranked like number nine in the nation. How that happens, I have no idea at 12 years old. But uh, I also have a client who's 75 years old. And I, and I understand seeing multiple aspects. However, I always kind of keep everyone, in, everyone is an athlete mentality whenever I train them so that we're all kind of doing similar stuff just with different variants, different scalability, everything along those lines. But what does an education, what do you do um, to kind of gear shift from one to the other? Let's say you have your clients, your youngest and your oldest clients back to back. How do you shift gears from a mental standpoint to say like, okay, what does, what this person needs and wants versus what this person needs and wants? Uh, great question. So I actually kind of really push myself on a day-to-day basis to come in with a completely mentally clean slate. So, you know, stand outside the office before I go into the next patient and say, all right, that one's over, this one's on now. And a lot of times it ends up being, you know, height, weight factors, things like that, you know, previous injuries, things like that. They're coming into me for a specific thing. And that's the thing that I highly, highly focus on. I do work a lot of like general health and I love seeing progressions on, you know, weight loss, things like that. But in my, in, in my realm or my limited time that my clinic has to uh, interact with them, I don't get to do, you know, the, the degree that you guys would get to do. I'm more like, Hey, your hips hurting, your low backs hurting. We got to work these five stretches. We got to work these four, you know, exercises, strengthening, things like that. If you want to lose weight, if you want to, you know, get a little healthier that way, then I try to pass off to either a trainer or a PT, something like that. So we, I kind of only get to scratch the surface as far as the strengthening rehab aspect. Whereas, you know, you guys obviously get to dive way deeper and get into nutrition. Well, I don't know if you guys do nutrition, but nutrition, strengthening exercises, things like that. So it's a little bit kind of hard to balance one side versus the other. But, you know, with a younger, more fit kind of person, I always assume that they have kind of a, a solid base and, you know, they're probably already going to the weight room, things like that. So that's more of like a fine tuning aspect. So I'd say I'd probably take a, a broad stroke with, you know, an elderly person that's looking to maybe get out of pain, maybe not rely on their cane so much type of thing like that. We're going to use full, like broader stretches, exercises like that. Whereas when I'm going into a pretty well-tuned athlete, I'm talking bracing, I'm talking, you know, squat stance, strength, uh, activation of different muscles type of things like that. So it's really a, a give and take on, on what I got for time comparatively for the different categories of people, so to speak. Could you kind of break down a little bit? Oh, go ahead, Sean. Um, could you kind of give a little bit of a breakdown? Um, and maybe this is just the meathead in me, not really understanding all of the different fields it's probably maybe, the meathead in you will <laughs> but for for some of the listeners could you kind of explain the differences between a Cairo, a pt um an ot and all these other kind of um i guess i guess i would call them maybe rehab segments of the health field yeah great so um i think honestly in my opinion what it boils down to is uh different styles of thought you know AT, PT, Cairo, OT, anything like that, you know, we're all looking to get the same end goal. So for me, you know, I look a lot more at like, let's look at joint function structure like that. Let's look at, you know, muscles on the back end of that. Whereas maybe like a PT would say, you know, 
we got to stretch strengthen. we got to get, they're like a lot more maybe muscle centered, you know, not saying they don't do any joint work or anything like that, but you know, joint work is kind of my bread and butter being a Cairo. And then um, you look at like OT, who's going to change the surroundings and the environment. So, you know, I think we're all kind of working at different aspects towards the same goal. And we just kind of look at it a little bit different and no one's more right than the other. It's always just a, a different lens for me. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of where I, where I look at it. Yeah. 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 Um, so when you talk about joint work, um, and I guess I'll ask more specifically with, um, athletics here, um, ankle, hip, knee, shoulder, um, I guess the spine, do you see any commonalities or major differences between certain athletes getting banged up or injured doing different activities? Yeah, for sure. So, um, for example, you know, a lot of like volleyball player, basketball player, you know, quick cut athletics like that. Um, I see a lot of like knee ankle stuff like that, where I have to work, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had an athlete who was having a lot of knee pain and he had gone to his athletic trainer, gone to see, you know, a PT gone to a few, a few different routes here. And then when he came to me, I decided, Hey, you know, let's have you go into the motion that causes pain. And then let's see if I can fix you in that motion. Cause clearly people have had you on the table. They've looked through the knee, they've done the standard uh, exam, you know, things like that, which I did too, just to make sure that they weren't missing anything, or maybe I picked up something new, but then I thought, okay, let's go into a loading aspect. So let's go into a, a half squat, like you're going to load for a jump. And then it ended up being that his fibular head. So the non-weight bearing or semi-weight bearing bone in the shin had actually had a pretty good fixation in there. So as soon as I got that joint moving a little bit better, the whole capsule around it kind of decreased in inflammation. And then all of a sudden everything was moving like, like it should, you know, then we started greasing it up and it was running like a top and he wasn't having any no jump shot pain, no pain when he was, you know, getting into that squat stance to play a little defense. So it kind of turned that way. So I would say joints, uh, you know, runners, they always get hip IT band, things like that. You're always looking at tight muscles up top with the extension flexion on the hip. And then everybody has spinal loading. You know, you guys know that you load down 300 pounds on your back. You're going to have some problems if you, if you start wavering towards the end of a set or anything like that. So that's kind of where I go to, you know, the bracing aspects, things like that, that are going to help prepare you for those heavier lifts. You said um, you use, you, you get them into that painful position. Uh, in my role, I have a lot of people that are always in the fitness world and together, which I hate. I love, I love working for the fitness world. I hate being in the fitness world. Um, they always, a lot of people are just a stay away from pain. Oh, if it doesn't, if it doesn't do that, or if it doesn't, or if it hurts, don't do that. I hate that. I actually like, you sound like you use pain as an indicator of finding what the truth of the pain comes from. So like, whether it be up the chain, down the chain, am I, am, am I swimming in the right direction when I say that? And yeah, do you, yeah. and do you look towards like, wh where is it that you go when you look at pain? Well, that's an interesting question. So I'm never going to say that I, I want to cause pain, but the way I look at my job is that there needs to be a little pain to have the pleasure after, you know, you need to, we need to get you into that kind of compromising, let's say position in order for me to fix what's wrong with it. And if I never put you into that position, if I tell you to avoid it the whole time, 
we're not going to strengthen around it. You know, if you can't squat because your knee hurts, you're not going to say, all right, you're never doing legs again. You know, in my mind, I'm saying, let's get some band work going. Let's get some, you know, glute firing, you know, make sure all the muscles are working in their proper way. So I find pain as a, not necessarily like a causing factor, but like a, like you said, a useful tool that'll help guide me towards where the real problem is. Um, could you kind of give us a little bit of an example of, of what we were just talking about where you had someone who has pain, maybe they're an athlete or general pop, but they have pain doing specific activity and how you're able to help them maybe get out of that pain or just alleviate some of it, um, later on. So a lot of times, you know, I use a, a lot of different muscle work techniques, you know, cupping, uh, instrument assisted soft tissue ma manipulation, which is uh, kind of like a muscle scraping technique. And I use some taping. So for example, if you got like, let's say a lot of, uh, inside of the knee pain, things like that, I'll get them into a little bit of a squat that kind of fires up those muscle fibers, gets them tightened into a, a tense position. And then you start scraping through with the, the instrument assisted technique. And it starts to break up some of the, I don't want to say scar tissue because it hasn't been around long enough to be scar tissue. I'd say more like a muscle adhesion. So, you know, basically like the muscles are kind of tied together and they aren't quite, it's like a knot through there. So if you can get that knot tensed up and kind of stretched out a little bit, then you can encourage the, the breakup of that knot a little bit better. At least that's how the way I kind of look at it. So that's usually what I'll end up doing there. And then also you can do what's called dynamic cupping too, where you kind of suck it up about halfway and then have them either move their muscle around. So you're kind of breaking up the muscle adhesion that way, or you actually take it and drag it across and kind of force the uh, fibrous adhesions to break up and loosen up that way. Those are a couple of the different ways. I love that you brought up cupping because I've never done it, but I've always wanted to at least try it. Can you explain what cupping is, how it works? Um, can you just go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So um, there's a few different theories on it. Um, you know, the traditional like oriental medicine is obviously like stagnant chi, bad chi, things like that. Um, I don't really subscribe to that. I don't say that that's wrong because that's a whole world that I don't understand that well. Um, but what I think about more often is I like to call it like the stagnant blood theory, meaning that if you get muscles that cramp up, tighten up, things like that, your body's initial response to an injury is, all right, well, let's just lock it all down. You know, we don't really know what's going on. Let's just tighten up all those muscles. That's a great short-term response. The problem is, is that sometimes you'll use that short-term response to tighten up all the muscles for so long that now your brain will stop sending the signal and say, all right, I think we're okay now, but your body will be like, well, we don't have the right oxygen, nutrients, things like that to actually relax this muscle. Because despite uh, maybe popular belief, you do need oxygen, nutrients, things like that to relax a muscle as well as to contract a muscle. So sometimes you use up basically all the gas holding that contraction for so long that now it can't relax even if the signal from your brain is gone. So what I do with the cupping is I kind of use it to suck up some of that stagnant deoxygenated blood there. Then the body says, well, we can't really have a muscle with like a, not a lot of blood into it. So it starts to send some new blood in there. Then when we release the cup, it kind of almost loosens up that area. And then the body says, well, now this is kind of too much blood. So it kind of kickstarts the filtration cycle and gets more oxygen nutrients flushed into there and then lets the muscles relax through that way. 
On top of that too, it can also take away some of those, like we talked about fibrous adhesions there, depending if you're doing static, like just leaving the cup there, or if you're using dynamic, like dragging it across and kind of breaking it up that way. So would cupping be a useful mechanism or means of rehab or therapy um, with like a muscle strain? Um, yeah, so it depends on how fresh it is. I actually really like to use cupping for people that can't handle like any motion, like first stage rehab when you're not really, you know, you just hurt your shoulder, you can't really do like some rehab exercises, you know, uh, cable rows or, you know, uh, external internal rotations, you can't do a lot of actual muscle motion. I like to use cupping on there, throw it in there, kind of control the inflammation process a little bit better, kind of get uh, some of the, the lactic acid, the buildup flushed out of there a little bit quicker. And then we follow it up, you know, with some interferential stim or, you know, like uh, the electric current that kind of goes through and helps flush out some of those chemicals too. So would cupping be um, kind of a chronic um, means of the therapeutic process or is that more so like a one and done type thing? Um, so I usually, in my experience, I've only ever done probably three people where I've had to do it more than twice. Typically it's a really quick turnaround. I usually say about like 60% of the time you feel a lot better right when you get up about another 15% of the time, it takes about an hour, hour and a half for kind of everything to flush out of there. And then you start seeing a lot of relief. And then the last like 15% of the time, it takes me another time to try it and get it really flushed out of there. If you, if there's an athlete that came to you with like a, uh, like Will's example, a uh, muscle strain, hamstring strain, like obviously depending on the severity, but what are some of like your first um, screening process as to where do you go from that? What uh, degrees do you put the hamstring in? What flexibility levels, what types of stuff that, you test to know how you treat that particular strain? Um, the first thing that I do for that is I go through like a passive range of motion. motion. So I'm controlling how far their leg can go. You know, if, if I'm getting it up and it's not a lot of pain, then we're looking for sure onto like a muscle problem versus, you know, structure or ligamentous. And then on after that, I'll take them into uh, their active range of motion, seeing how far they can pull it up. You know, obviously if it's so acute and so painful that they can't pull it up, then I'm not going to be, you know, evoking that test. Then we're going to do some more passive things, you know, taping more stabilizing than we are, you know, actively trying to break up some of the muscle adhesions through there. So it kind of really depends on their tolerance for pain, their, uh, you know, obviously you said the varying degrees. So if we got like 80% of the fibers torn in the hamstring, they won't be able to pull it up that far. The next test that we go on to is a little bit of light resistance. So I'll put a little bit of like pressure back into their, into their leg and have them try to curl my, you know, let's say two fingers. If they can do that, then we're looking at a little bit more mild of a strain type of thing. So it's really kind of a gradient scale starting at passive range of motion i'm moving it going to an active range of motion they're moving it going to a little bit of resistance seeing how much they can go then as soon as they hit that threshold where a lot of pain is evoked i'm okay with a little you know you hurt something you roll an ankle or something you can walk it off a little bit but when it gets to be the time where you're like hmm, i can't put any weight onto this then obviously we're not going any further than that makes sense you, um, go um 
Well, I was, this is going to be totally different topic. So if you had a follow up, Sean, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, I have a client who has a mildly strained hamstring. Like he's not doing anything differently. He's not compensating or anything like that. It's just, I don't know. I just, I assume there would be a little bit more of a compensation than if there's not, if he's not really favoring one side or the other. I, I don't know what there are things that I could do to kind of like not help it, but like, I would, I don't think I would do anything differently. Would I, as far um, as like just training, I, I'm not sprinting him right now, at least um, above what would be 75%. Uh, really. It's just a bit of a tempo run, but. Uh, I'd, I'd kick over with, with situations like that. You always, well, I always worry about um, over strengthening, you know? So if you're back loading, like a, like a heavy squat with that, they're going to start subtly going away from that injury. So I push way more to single leg stuff, you know, uh, even like banded single legs, you know, banded RDLs, you know, like light work like that, but it's all single leg versus the double. Yeah. We've done, I think our primary right now, or our prim- one of our primaries has been, a trap bar deadlift and we're shifting more towards a staggered stance and a barbell front rack step up. So um, where the knee is actually above starting above the hip. So, yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. I mean, like I said, usually it's just going over to the single leg versus the double leg because, Mm -hmm. you know, especially athletes who are of a higher level, they want to get back in and get on to, you know, let me throw 500 pounds on my back and see if I can do it again. And you know, sometimes there's always a little bit of a lull where the, the body is to let's say 80% better. And it says, yeah, we can, we can do this. And that's usually the most common time to reoccur with an injury is when they get to that little lull and they're like, no, I'm feeling good. I can, I can get back all this weight. And then all of a sudden it, it gets, it comes back and it usually goes even worse. Well, it's their gear shift of like, oh, once everything kind of feels back to normal, I'm a hundred percent. And so, well, you're probably like 74 exactly yeah well go ahead do you see many patients or clients i guess i don't know how to refer to them but do you see many clients um that have just come off like a reconstructive surgery maybe like an acl or labrum tear or something like that uh yeah it's not as much as you know maybe like a pt or anything like that because i don't haven't maybe developed the uh rapport the rep for being a, a stop for that but my clinic actually has something that's a little bit unique. We have what's called a class three cold laser and that helps like stimulate blood flow. And they're really, there's a lot of up and coming data on them, but in my experience, it can kick up the healing process like two to three times. There's been times where I've had a, a volleyball player who rolls an ankle and the ankle swollen and looking all nasty. And I run a little bit of the muscle tools through it, kind of draw out some of the inflammation. We throw some like, tape through it to kind of add a little bit of support and structure. And we run the laser through it two, three times that week. And I've had them back as fast as like four days going from, you know, barely any weight onto it to four days later, they're back to moderately full practice. You know, we're not going to say they're going into the game hundred percent, but you know, they're 85, 90% can do maybe not the lateral jump cuts and everything in four days, but by about a week, I've had them back to full play. Can you explain how that laser works? Is, is, so, it, is the point of the laser to uh, eliminate the uh, inflammation as quickly as possible? Is that the goal of the laser? 
Um, so it's a, it's a light therapy. So basically it just adds a lot of extra energy, you know, kind of energizes the cells, gets, uh, things moving a lot better and faster there. So your, your cells have more energy to stimulate the healing process. So, you know, they can draw in more platelets. They can draw in more, um, of the healing factors of your body. It's like I said, it's kind of a new science. So a lot of research is being done as to, you know, exactly down to a cellular level, what's going on, but right now they're not a, a ton of super peer-reviewed studies that are saying you know this is exactly what it does but there's a lot of studies that are showing uh, a quicker turnaround a quicker uh, healing factor for that that is really really interesting um based on what you just kind of explained to us like are you doing anything from a continuing education standpoint or a research perspective that you're kind of diving into with some of your uh, clients or your athletes, anything like that, that is, well, no, I don't want to say outside the box, but just progressive in your, in your scope of practice. Um, so that's kind of a hard question for, for Kairos. It's kind of tough to, uh, we're kind of like the black sheep of the, uh, of the medical world, so to speak, you know, research in a medical sense is typically done by a specific researcher, you know, a, a group like a pharmacy or something funds this research study, whereas Kairos, we're all kind of on our own. So it's now I got to see all these patients, write all these notes. And if I want to produce this study, then I have to fund it and do all of the legwork like my own, basically. On top of that, you know, there's a little bit of feud left over from, you know, early nineties or late, like eight, late eighties from when DCs and MDs didn't really get along. So a lot of times with, you know, deeper scientific journals, it's pretty tough to get published or even get really a second look on any research as a Cairo, unless you have an MD or, you know, some other facet of medicine to support your research. So it gets to be kind of a cost benefit. You know, I got a lot of loans I got to pay off. Do I want to take the time to do the research at this point in my career, or do I really want to just kind of focus on getting people better, getting my name out there, getting more, uh, you know, more patience and, and trying to do it that way. So for me right now, I'm not doing any like, you know, paper studies that I'm going to try to publish or anything like that. Independently in the back of my mind, I keep a few things in my head. You know, um, I've found a really high correlation, at least in my clinical experience, to decreasing restless leg syndrome, if you can open up the hip flexors and loosen the hip flexors. So, you know, that's one really cool thing that I've kind of found, but I haven't done the research to see if anybody's done any studies on it. I haven't put the paper into re or put it onto paper to promote it to other people to see. So it's kind of tough to do the research aspect. Uh, are there any other kind of things that you wish the research could kind of speed up the process with to help you do your job? Um, any certain techniques, any sort of equipment that you feel like the research is a little bit behind and maybe not allowing you to do your job as effectively? Well, uh, the laser for sure. You know, I want as much info as I can get uh, out of the laser. On top of that, you know, insurance companies, since, you know, a lot of times we're more insurance based, you know, there's cash practices out there and there's different styles of clinics, but um, insurance companies kind of dictate what we can bill for and what we can't and, you know, how we have to code particular things. So, you know, sometimes you're not, you know, it's, it's harder to say, hey, you know, 
I really think this laser is going to benefit you, but we can't run it through your insurance because they're not ready or they don't have a billing code for it. So you're going to have to pay 25 bucks out of pocket or, you know, that's all offhand stuff. But sometimes it's a little hard for that aspect because I can see that this is going to help them, but then they don't want to pay the extra money. And then, you know, it gets to be kind of a crapshoot that way. And it's, it's just kind of puts you into a, me into a hard spot on that aspect. So I have one specific question that I, I want to ask you about. Um, so when I think of chiropractors, I think of like spinal manipulation. Um, is that kind of like a myth of chiropractors that all they want to do is crack your back and send you off? Or what, what, are, your, uh, what are your thoughts on, on that? Um, so, I mean, that's our, that's our roots, you know, uh, chiropractic comes out of nerve being nerve impedance or, you know, getting the nervous system back into primary functioning is the best way we can help people. But that being said, a lot of chiros are, if there's a joint, I can move it. You know, I work feet, I work ankles, I work elbows, I work wrists, you know, a lot of things like that. And on top of that, we take, uh, like I said, just a different, a different glasses. We're looking at it differently. So, you know, I've had quite a few patients that have had carpal tunnel and they've been like, you know, I went to the doctor, they said, I got to get the surgery. I had one that was even a week out of getting the carpal tunnel surgery. And I worked through her forearm, worked through a lot of the muscle entrapment sites of the forearm and she canceled her surgery. I've had probably 14 different people that I've stopped carpal tunnel surgeries for. And then when they come to me, same with like plantar fasciitis, when they come to me, they're like, Oh, you know, I've been through all these channels. This is what I have to do for plantar fasciitis, carpal tunnel, things like that. And I'm like, why don't you just let me take a look at it? And then whether they see results or not, it's still, you know, a conservative option. If you can avoid surgery in any way, you obviously want to. So I just like, I like working the whole body. That being said, some chiros are like, I don't do extremities. I don't do legs. I don't do arms. That's their idea. I like that. And congratulations for helping out those people. We actually have a uh, in-house chiropractor that works with us and I think he does a phenomenal job. He uh, also has his CSCS. So he pairs a lot of his uh, practice with some rehab and strength training. He just has that, that mesh of both and has that education that allows him to do that. Um, and it's really cool to see him work on the uh, our fitness floor as well. Yeah. So we're wrapping up a little bit on time here, Marshall. We want to thank you for joining us. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you on. First chiropractor to have on. First, I think, first first guest to be on that's not like in the strength and conditioning field, I guess. So that was really cool to have you on. So we want to thank you for that. One final question for you before we let you out of here. Two final if questions, actually. I thought of one. You want to Two go first? Questions. Two final questions. Yeah. What beer were you drink were you going to be drinking whenever you uh said you're gonna be drinking a beer for the podcast? <laughs> uh so uh, I have to I'm I'm gluten free right now. So I stick I basically to the white claws and things like that. Okay. I wish it was, you know, like a honey vice or something along that those lines, but uh for now I stick to the the white claws and the gluten free aspect stuff. Dad. Sorry, well, I had to ask. <laughs> All good. So if you could give us one person to reach out to that you'd recommend um, to come on this show with us, who would that person be? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciated your time. Uh, secondly, uh, I would have to say that 
Uh, a huge guy in my life. His name is Ron Sheffield. He's a track coach out of California. If you guys could get him on here, that man is amazing. He had me one. I remember one conference track meet. He literally said, sorry, guys, you're going to peak at noon today. You should have peaked at one. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're on the right day for peaking. And he was like, nah, it should have been at one o'clock when your event starts, not noon. And I'm like, all right. All right. Well, we got that name, name down and we'll try to reach out to that guy. Yeah. Thank you, Marshall. We appreciate having you on. Uh, you're giving us your time and just being as open and honest as you can be. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you guys.